This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next on Plains FM, the Shetland and Orkney Connection, brought to you by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society. Played by Shetland Band Homebrew, signal 8.30pm the last Monday each month for the Shetland and Orkney Connection, produced by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and broadcast on Plans FM 96.9, either directly in Canterbury or streaming live globally on broadband, or available for three months after the broadcast via podcast on the website www.plansfm.org.nz. Hello again and welcome to the February edition of the Shetland and Orkney Connection. It's presented by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and promoted by Community Radio Plains FM 96.9. The programme is broadcast at 8.30pm on the last Monday of each month and is repeated on Monday, two weeks later at noon. Earlier this month, we got the sad news that Nan Anderson had died, just a month short of her 93rd birthday. Nan, along with the late Barbara Hughes, was a presenter of the Shetland and Orkney Connection for 17 years. They have big shoes for Heather Jan and me to fill. She will be greatly missed in the Canterbury, Shetland and Orkney group and also in the music world in Christchurch in which she was heavily involved. Nan received her Queen's Service Medal in 2020 for her service to choral music and well deserved it was. Yes, yes, you mm. certainly will be missed. I said she was a teacher too and mm. uh, cashed me high for a long mm. while and I'm sure she's got a lot of ex-pupils that um, you know, remember her. Um, and it's good to have you back, uh, Jan, after your... Thank you. It's nice <laughs> to finally be back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, now a few snippets from the papers. Superdrug is rumoured to be considering setting up shop in Shetland. Seems they are interested in the premises at the moment occupied by MN Co in Lewick's Commercial Street. MN Co are closing down at Easter. Currently, the nearest Superdrug store is in Kirkwall. M&Co was a popular store in Kirkwall as well as and will also be closing down after Easter. A sad event for both Lerwick and Kirkwall to lose another store because they were sort of department store, I think, closing and um, a homeware, so they are mm. going to be missed. Oh, we'll be yeah. missed. Yeah. Mm. It's a long way to go if there's nothing there. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Further thanks have been paid to Harriet Middleton, a dedicated fundraiser ahead of the arrival of Shetland's new MRI scanner. Harriet led the MRI Makers Group and the community knitting efforts raised more than $100,000 towards the new scanner. A portrait of Harriet was unveiled at the Shetland Museum last month. Harriet said at the time, it was such a surprise and honour to have been invited to sit for an official portrait once I got over the initial shock I thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity. 
I view the painting as a wonderful tribute to all those in the MRI Makers Group and beyond who made the fundraising appeal such a success. So it's MRI scanners are great things. I yeah. just recently had a head scan with the MRI and I said they found nothing. So yeah. <laughs> 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 Which I was quite pleased about actually. <laughs> it seems potholes are becoming quite common things in roads everywhere these days. A West Mainland councillor hit out recently at the badly rutted state of the road leading to the primary school in his home village of Finstown. He said the four-inch deep potholes made him question whether Orkney can continue to claim to have among the best maintained road network. He was shocked at the state of the road when he dropped off his grandchildren at Finstown School. Mm. I didn't think they were that bad when I was there last, but um, things deteriorate. Mm. And Orkney is set for a record-breaking cruise season as the list of vessels due to call at our ports in 2023 is revealed. A total of around 234 ships are booked to berth over the course of the year. The first call by a visiting liner is due on March the 25th when the MS Ambience docks at Hatston. Those projected figures signal a boost to the cruise industry for Orkney as it bounces back from the COVID-19 pandemic. The cruise season is set to continue well into autumn with an intended visit from the Norwegian Star in October the 17th. I said it's quite interesting because you know some of those boats have about five thousand people on them, and mm, you know they do how they're carrying on at Littleton at the moment. Yes, um, with their numbers that visit. Mm. I remember when we were last in Orkney, there was there were quite some conversations going on about those cruise ships mm. Mm. and the, the the impact that they have when they do come in. Mm. This good well, I know and they look, good and not so good with it. Well, you know, do they look? But how much money do they actually spend? Oh, I wouldn't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. But little done anyway is not very happy at the moment. <laughs> no. And yes, you can see why. Yeah. Okay. Inspiring people to engage with the community is the aim of a heritage conference that will be held this month. Shetland Amenity Trust and Shetland Heritage Association will come together to host the event at the Museum and Archives on the 4th of March. The one-day event will be aimed at anyone who would like to become more involved in heritage initiatives, as well as people who are already working, volunteering in, supporting or engaging with Shetland's heritage. Ms Brooke Freeman said, Our heritage conference is the first step in engaging and re-engaging with the Shetland-wide community. We want to inspire folk to get involved in heritage and to find out what existing volunteers need. The Scottish Wildlife Trust's newly released film, Oceans of Value, shares local people's emotional connections with Orkney's marine environment, has been picked up by global not-for-profit streaming channel Echoflix. Oceans of Value focuses on the waters surrounding Orkney, featuring interviews carried out with 26 local people to unearth their values and the relationship they have with the sea. It is hoped that the film will help to inform Scottish Wildlife Trust's Living Seas work, focusing on better understanding and improving both marine planning and community engagement. Rebecca Crawford said, 
Such in-depth and personal insights are often difficult to capture, but are also really vital in helping to inform marine environment policy. To think that our film is now being watched, not just beyond the borders of Scotland, but streamed across the world is very exciting to showcase how communities can contribute to marine planning. Yeah, I sort of didn't look, but I, you know, wondering if we would be able to see it if it's worldwide. I mm. don't know where you'd mm. um, perhaps pick it up, but I wouldn't mind seeing it, actually. No. Mm. I've never heard of EcoFlix. Mm. Mm. No. Have to have a wee look. Mm. Oh, yes, I suppose if you look them up, you know, mm. yeah. Takes a while for things to sink in. <laughs> For those of you interested in family history, the Orkney Family History Society volunteers have completed the transcription of the 1921 Census of Orkney. You need to be a member of the Family History Society to be able to view them online at www.orkneyfhs.co.uk. The Society is so grateful to all the volunteers who contributed and to their webmaster Dave. The web address, again, is www.orkneyfhs.co.uk. And you can, I'm not, not sure, but you can go right back to the 19, 1841 census mm. and you can buy, the, I have got the books at home, but um, whether they're online, I'm just not sure. I have a feeling they are now. Mm. But if you're looking for someone in your family history, that's certainly the place to go. Mm. The expense of the last festive season will have hit bank balances, but take heart, it could have been worse. For instance, Dr McEwen, who was headmaster of the Kirkwall Borough School until his retirement after 35 years' service in 1914, never earned more than £260 a year, despite being responsible for a school role of 700 pupils. And he really was well off compared to most contemporary Orcadians. A Board of Trade report in March 1905 said the average weekly wage of farm workers in Orkney was 13 shillings 7d, almost 65 pence in today's decimal currency, the lowest in Scotland at the time. If we move forward to 1954, the salary of Orkney's county clerk and treasurer was increased to just one... £1,500. Oh, okay. <laughs> £1,500 a year. This was nearly twice the salary of the town clerk of Kirkwall, who was responsible for running the affairs of the Kirkwall Town Council and earned £800 a year for his duties in 1954. Manual workers were nowhere near as affluent and without overtime payments struggled to earn £300 a year. Men over 20 employed by the County Roads Department we were receiving £5.14 shillings. 16 pence. 16 pence. Is yeah. that what oh, Dean we, means? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, well young, are you? Don't remember pounds, pounds, shillings and pence. <laughs> I thought I did well to work out the S meant shillings. <laughs> <laughs> so they were receiving £5.14 shillings and 16 pence. A week. A yeah. week. Mm. Goodness. The old county council kept a tight rein on the purse strings and, in 1969, councillors rejected a recommendation that the salary of the Director of Education be increased to £3,965 a year. Now moving on to 1974, nearly 50 years ago, 
the average sa- the national average salary for men was £2,480 a year. Mm. Yeah, no, I was really surprised because oh. the first trip I went to Orkney was in 1978 and my cousin had a farm, although her husband worked mm. in a garage. But I was, I just can't remember the exact amount of what their annual wage was, but I was really horrified, actually, at the small amount. I don't know how they lived. Mm. They must have had to everything supplement else. everything. Yes. Well, they had, you know, they had a garden. It was they... probably everything else was comparable to it at the time. Yeah, I suppose think? so. But mm. I was just thinking, you know, of what what we had, mm. what we were getting, and how we lived, and what they had, and how mm. they lived. Although they didn't, we didn't, didn't live much differently, but I was mm. quite surprised. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, the thrifty Scots. Mm. Mm. Last month we talked about the lovely little lunar church. Then I found this about the Lunar Peninsula. Lunaness is an eight-mile-long narrow finger of land that projects, almost accusingly, from Shetland's mainland towards the islands of Yell and Fetla. In modern Shetland, with its superb road network, Lunaness is about as remote a place as you will find in Shetland without catching a boat. And geography very dearly dictated that you had to. A little over a third of the way along Luna Ness, you come to Luna, where the bites taken by East Luna Vaux and especially West Luna Vaux almost meet, very nearly turning the rest of the peninsula into an island. Mm. Yeah, that's quite interesting to see that because it's mm. just sort of nearly sand, isn't it? It's, mm. Yeah, I'm sure mm. high tides it, um, it does will just go cross across. it. Yeah. Yes. Mm. The tiny, tiny settlement of Luna lies where Luna Ness is pinched by these two vows. Standing on a hillside here, with a magnificent view in all directions, is Luna House. The most easterly wing of this was built in early 1660, and it was for many years the residence of the Hunter family. The house was significantly extended by the Bruce family in the early 1900s, and today serves as a rather special bed and breakfast. Luna House is today approached from the north. It is still possible to see traces of the old driveway leading straight up the hill in front of it from the ornate gates beyond the modern road at the foot of the hill. Close by is Linnakirk, built by the Hunter family in 1753, probably on the site of a much older church. The building between the Kirk and East Luna Vaux, which appears almost church-like at first sight, is actually a disused fishing booth, standing over a largely artificial beach, laid to allow the catch to be dried. Also nearby is West Lunavaux, which remains home to an active small pier, plus the remains of a lime-burning kiln and a much older jetty. In the early years of World War II, Luna House became the headquarters of the Norwegian resistance, and the boats regularly crossed from West Lunavaux to the Norwegian fields. This was the start of the famous Shetland bus. As the scale of the operation increased, it needed a base more easily accessible from the rest of Shetland, and so moved to Scalloway, while Lunaness hosted one-man submarines and other unconventional means of waging war. After 1945, the area returned to the sounds of the crashing waves and the seabirds. It's nice to hear that, isn't it? Mm, it's more yeah. to nature, yeah. yeah. This following article was written by Carol Christensen 
Curator and Community Museums Officer. One reason why Shetland women can knit so quickly is because they anchor one needle at their side. Today, many uses a makin belt for this purpose, a stuffed leather pad with holes into which one knitting wire is secured. Before the makin belt, knitters used a sheath or wisp to hold their wires. A few years ago, Shetland Museum undertook research into knitting sheaths to try and get a better understanding of these colourful and interesting tools. Knitting sheaths were used in many cultures and usually made from wood or metal. Essentially, they were tubes worn tucked into the waistband into which a single needle was placed to hold it there while the thread was worked. Sheaths were usually very decorated and examples of intricately wooden worked wooden or silver sheaths survive from Europe and North America. It was not unusual for the elaborate tools to be made by men for their sweethearts. Hmm. Shetland sheaths differ from most others in that they were made of tapes or cord bound around a core of bird feathers. One had a centre of thinly whittled sticks, but the rest were made from a bundle of large feathers, the quill end being where the needles were wedged. A reference to sheaths in Shetland archives said they were made using goose quills, but if many sheaths were made by seamen, the feathers could be from any coastal bird in the world. Although sheaths were functionally the same as Macon? Macon wisps. Was it Macon or Macon wisps? I said Macon. Hmm, those. A bundle of straw, they were more decorative and they were a more decorative and elaborate art form with strong links to the sailing tradition following the, the Napoleonic Wars. Of the 12 sheaths in the museum's collection, most employ knitting knotting techniques, typically used by sailors. Some sheaths are made with coach whipping, either in leather strips or cloth tapes. Two other sheaths are made of cotton cording, knotted into various patterns commonly found on sailors' gear, such as kissed handles. For a few sheaths we know the makers, and invariably they had spent many years at sea. Hmm. Knitting sheaths predate the Macon belt, and there is speculation they were used when knitting needles were made of wood before steel needles were common. The length of the sheath was more appropriate for the shorter needles of wood or bone. Indeed, broken fragments of wooden knitting needles can be found still embedded in some sheaths. Shetland Museum was fortunate to receive help from Shetland College and Gilbert Bain Hospital into their study of sheaths. Medical specialists scanned three sheaths from the collection so they could look inside and gain a better understanding of how they were made. Scans were made through the objects both horizontally and vertically at 10 millimetre slices. It is possible to see the thickness of the quills down the length of the sheath, the inner binding around the feathers, and in one sheath a metal rod had been inserted into the lower third of the sheath, probably to make it more stable around the soft feather stuffing. Mm. Yes, it's a shame we're not on TV because the mm. sheaths are they're really they a work are of art. Yeah, they're lovely, aren't yeah. They? Mm. Now, how things have changed. Cigarettes for our troops at the front. An appeal to Shetland Times readers, over £360 had been received. 
During the past year, despite many other demands on Shetlanders, the Shetland Times Cigarette Fund was steadily increasing. Until now, over £300 has been subscribed. Over 1,030,000 cigarettes have been dispatched through this fund to the soldiers in the Scottish regiments in France and on the Eastern Fronts. And in all cases, the men have gratefully acknowledged these. We still have appeal for subscriptions as the demand for cigarettes is increasing and men at the front welcome nothing so much as a smoke. We are sure that our appeal will not be in vain as Shetlanders have supported the fund loyally since its inauguration. We hope that our readers will now abate their efforts towards making the fund as successful during the coming year as hitherto has been. Kindly forward any subscriptions to the Shetland Times office, Lerwick. Well, being an ex-spoker myself, I can understand how the soldiers were looking forward to getting their cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had any cigarettes for a long while, so, yep. Too expensive now. <laughs> Shetland's people. J.J. Haldane Burgess, 1862-1927, from Lerwick, outstanding scholar, teacher and writer. He went blind during his university years in Edinburgh. After gaining his degree, he came home to Shetland to study, write and teach classics and mathematics to private pupils. Willing volunteers helped his studies by reading to him and he continued to learn a wide range of languages specialising in Scandinavian ones, but also including Esperanto. He wrote on a typewriter, articles, poetry and novels, notably Tang, 1898. Poetry volumes, Rasmi's Buddy, Booty, 1891, and Young Rasmi's Kit, published posthumously in 1928. Rasmi's Booty, or Buddy, was written as a response to those who said that the dialect was incapable of expressing great thought or feeling. Haldane Burgess took an active part in Lewick life. He could be seen out walking every day and was involved in and consulted about many things, including the early development of Up He was a socialist, a wonderful character and a very well-loved man. His former pupil, Jack Peterson, described him as a blind man who saw in the dark, who could not see across the road, but saw across centuries, whose very bearing, gay and vivacious, invited passers-by to be of good cheer. That's from the Shetlander number 164, 1988. Mm. Or the New Shetlander, sorry. Mm? It's from the New Shetlander number 164. Yeah, yeah. Yes, now, I don't know what I did with that still going, but it's a while ago, 1988 now, isn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, now we're going to look at the circumstance of murder and the oral tradition surrounding Gilbert Hendry, gifted poet and adulterer. It seems Gilbert's tongue and quill surely dripped with honey, for though married, he took upon himself a younger local lass as another lover, sometime in the 17th century. Despite the appeals and prayers of his friends to cease his behaviour, one even, even lying in wait one night to implore him to reconsider the fateful road down which he travelled, 
Gilbert's lust for the women seemed only to increase. But ere long, our debaucherer of all that was holy and good was seen one evening walking alone along a lockside when he was joined by a mysterious man dressed all in black. As concerned onlookers watched, they continued to pace deep into the darkness. The next morning, the body of Gilbert Hendry was found with his head caved in and his brains spattered, though no rock of size could be found matching the fatal blow, whilst the turf around the body was heavily trodden. God had paid retribution befitting adulterers and whoremongers and smote him as a lesson in terror to us all. <laughs> so Good great Take note. It always amazes me too. It's always a, a man dressed in black, isn't it? <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> no thought it could have been one of his multitude of women dressed in black. <laughs> well, it could have been two. Wanting yeah. to be the only one. Yeah. <laughs> Deary me, what a note to end on. Yeah. Well, I see in Facebook many photographs of spring flowers, the lovely little white um, snowdrop and crocuses. Uh, they're all coming out in Orkney and Shetland. As lovely as they are, it just reminds me that our winter is on its way. Well, once again, we have come to the end of our program. Keep safe and cheerio for now. Bye for now. Bye.